The views and opinions expressed in this podcast are those of the presenters only and do not represent the official views of any city, county, or state government. This information is not intended to constitute legal advice and should not be relied upon in lieu of consultation with an appropriate legal advisor. Listener discretion is advised. Bad boys, bad boys, what you gonna do? What you gonna do when we come for you? The story you are about to see is true. The names have been changed to protect the innocent. Yippee-ki-yay, Mr. McLean, and yippee-ki-yay, everybody. Greetings, crime fighters and cinephiles. Welcome back to another episode of Geek and the Cop, the only podcast to talk about the real police work and real fake films. I'm Jeff Todd, a.k.a. the geek creator of the world-famous One Perfect Shot, and he, of course, is Detective Andy, a.k.a. the cop, an active-duty, real-life, true-blue detective, here to break down Michael Mann's 1995 masterpiece, Heat. Detective Andy, what's going down, my friend? I'm doing good. How are you? I'm doing good. I'm excited to talk about Heat. Uh, our uh, our listeners are saying this is going to be our big breakout show. <laughs> this is going to be the one that puts us over the top. <laughs> oh, yeah? Our, our fan is saying that? Uh, well, fans. There's at least two. <laughs> Both yeah, of them, so. yeah. Dude, we couldn't even play we couldn't even play a pickup basketball game with the amount of <laughs> listeners we have. So I'm not sure. Over the top is really loosely defined in this. All right, crew, before we start, you can and should follow us on Twitter at Geek and the Cop. You can also find us on Facebook at Facebook.com slash Geek and the Cop. You can follow me on Twitter at the Jeff Todd. That's Jeff with a G, like the goddamn giraffe. You can also find Detective Andy at DET Andy underscore Geek Cop. That's DET Andy underscore Geek Cop. Be sure to stick around after the show. We always play a cut from the original motion picture soundtrack. Uh, today we're going to be playing New Dawn Fades from the Heat soundtrack, Moby's kind of haunting cover of the Joy Division song. If you're new to the show, thanks for finding us. And if you're returning, welcome back. The idea for the, um, the concept for the show is pretty simple. Each episode, we break down a police film from both my perspective, the geek, and then Detective Andy, the cop, looks at the police work in the film and shines the mighty light of truth on our subject. But yeah, so Heat was going to be the first film that we were going to cover on the show. Um, and I can't remember why we went with seven necessarily. Well, let, me, but. let me refresh your memory on that, Jeff. Uh, you decided that we were going to do seven first, and I said, sure, that sounds cool. Ah. <laughs> well, at least it's a democracy, right? <laughs> Jeez. It was that or Super Troopers, though. We'll get to Super Troopers. Yeah, okay, thanks. <laughs> right. <laughs> now, Detective Andy... Heat came out before you were involved in law enforcement. Did you see this one in the in the theater? Did you catch it at home? I don't think so. I, I think I caught this after it came out on video. Because um, this was back back when this came out, I wasn't uh, going to the movies as much. Well, I was, but it was just for your, your run-of-the-mill cheesy shit, right? Like, you know, Independence Day and stuff like that. And porn, <laughs> mainly. Mainly the porn. <laughs> one ticket for foreskin gump, please. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, no comment? <laughs> yeah, that's the correct answer for that. Two minutes in, the show's already in the garbage. Um, but yeah, so Heat was an opening day film for me. And, you know, while we're sitting here talking about the film, I, I don't know if Heat was marketed purely on the pairing of Pacino and De Niro. Every single piece, every one sheet, every television spot was all about Pacino and De Niro. And I don't think you could do that today. Not because they are, um, you know, not because they aren't a, a, a box office draw, but because I think they've kind of become caricatures of themselves because they've done a lot of, you know, it seems like for every good performance they turn in in a uh, theatrically released film, there is an equal number of horrendous direct-to-video stuff that comes from these guys. Um, and so they've kind of diluted their 
their brand, I guess, in a way. And that's not to say that, that you know, there's a lot of, of good stuff that comes direct to video. and But there is a lot of shit that goes direct to video as well. And, you know, I kind of like direct to video shit sometimes. There's some good stuff there, but they just don't star nor have anything to do with Robert De Niro or Al Pacino. I'm looking at you, Righteous Kill. Wasn't, uh, if I'm not mistaken, Embrace of the Vampire was straight to video, yes, and I will slap the first person who dispar- disparages that fine piece of work. Oh, yeah. That, that, so that's Alyssa Milano breaking out of her Who's the Boss role. And uh, what's funny is Lisa Bonet kind of did the same thing. Lisa Bonet was on uh, The Cosby Show, um, and she did uh, Angel Heart, had a real graphic sex scene in Angel Heart. Um, and, and Embrace of the Vampire was like, you know what? That's a great idea. Let's do the same thing with Alyssa Milano, which I don't mind. Um, but uh, yeah, so everybody still thought she was kind of Samantha from Who's the Boss? Samantha. That's Tony <laughs> Mona. <laughs> that was uncanny. Being an unemployed filmmaker gives you a lot of opportunities to work on your Tony Danza impressions, apparently. But yeah, I, I you know, I, I don't know if you were to do this movie today, if you could find two actors that would have that kind of, that anticipatory feeling, you know, or that standing um you know, you you would have to really do something dramatic, I think, with those roles. Um, I was talking online with with some of our listeners about recasting this. Like, who 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 would we put in these roles? Uh, Nick Gibson said Michael Fassbender and Michael Shannon, which I think is a rad choice. Um, that's almost like a cinephile's dream choice if you were to to, to recast uh, Heat. Um, Jeffrey Sennard said Denzel and Sam Jackson, which. I think the screen may explode if we did that. That's a super, super solid pick. Uh, you know, I can actually see that. I'm assuming that, that, that Samuel Jackson is uh, Robert De Niro and Denzel is Al Pacino. The, their, their respective roles, I should say. You know, I would probably flip that. Okay. I would probably put Sam Jackson in Pacino's role because he can do crazier better than Denzel can, I think. The lines that come out of Pacino's mouth are lines that I could hear Sam Jackson saying. Denzel is a little more cool and calm and collected. Well, it's just their, it was their presence, man. Their their personalities and their presence for the, the the respective characters they played was absolutely perfect. And I don't think you could replace it because anybody else you put there is going to have a completely different dynamic, like a completely different uh, chemistry on screen. And even though they weren't in um, but a couple of scenes together, their, their chemistry, like with their character that was sort of playing off each other was perfect, man. And you can't reproduce it. Yeah. Yeah. You'd have to go, you'd have to do something so radically different. You know, my buddy Trey Lawson, um, who, who's been a follower since the day, the grindhouse days, long, long fucking time. He blew me away with his choice. He, he selected Helen Mirren and Meryl Streep. I mean, <laughs> damn. You flip the script, but bring in two equally talented actors of equal force. Uh, They're similar yet opposite enough like Pacino and De Niro. I think that wins this round of recast, a game I just made up right now this second. Congrats, Trey. But, you know, even still, as good as that choice is, I I agree with you. It's all about the presence. It's all about the chemistry those two specific actors had, um, Pacino and De Niro. I I don't think they're, they're just that good 20 years later we're still talking about the scene uh in the diner we're talking about the chemistry they had and the confidence and determination of those characters so but it's funny that we're talking about recasting heat and talking about direct direct video films because heat has a history with a bit of both of those so let's get to geeking here and take a look at michael mann's filmography so mann's first big feature film is thief it's his first heist film, and, and within the heist genre, it's certainly a top ten. Um, I would say my top five heist films are um, uh, Reservoir Dogs, Le Cirque Rouge, The Killing, Dog Day Afternoon, Rafifi, and Heat. So Thief doesn't make that top five, but it, it would probably make the top ten. Heat and Thief are very similar films. Um, so, you know, actually now I'm saying that, I don't know if it would make my top 10 because they are so similar, but anyway, um, so Thief is, is Michael Mann's first, uh, first big film. Um, and it doesn't really hit the way the studio wants it to. It's, it's kind of a modest success, but it's a remarkable film. Are you clear? You've been putting down two, three scores a month. 
You want to put down contract scores all over the country? Working directly for me? I am self-employed. Geisty Lice. Just diamonds or cash. Fine. I'll make you a millionaire in four months. I wear $150 slacks. I wear silk shirts. I wear $800 suits. I wear a gold watch. I wear a perfect, deep, flawless, three-carat ring. I'm a thief. Hands down, my favorite James Conn performance of all time. In fact, it might be why I like Bottle Rocket so much, Wes Anderson's Bottle Rocket, because I feel like the character he plays in that is riffing off of uh, Frank a little bit. But anyway, Grab Thief, it's a great companion film to Heat, along with Collateral. Um, has Tuesday Weld, Willie Nelson, James Belushi, and it continues Michael Mann's history of really filling out his roles with character actors. And only the best character actors. Robert Prosky's in this. Dennis Farina. It's a great film. Uh, it's on Criterion, so it has a it has a really solid release. So so grab that, double it up with Heat. You can't go wrong. Michael Mann's next film after Thief is a horror film called The Keep, which flops, and he he basically disowns the movie. But it's worth watching. Um, I think Scream Factory did a release of it, uh, if I'm not mistaken, uh, on Blu-ray. And it's interesting because visually it, it looks more like a kind of a Ridley Scott film than a Michael Mann film. And you don't really get a lot of the Michael Mann kind of trademarks. So it's 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 definitely the outlier in his filmography. He's never made anything like the keep since and i don't think he will either um, i just don't think he's interested in really kind of exploring the the supernatural in any kind of um, in any kind of way check out the trailer though uh, on youtube because it is a it is a weird ass trailer um and at the end of it actually it says it was released in 70 millimeter which think about that your move it too so um anyway then he does manhunter which is the first on-screen appearance of hannibal lecter by the and and in this version He's played, Hannibal is played by the great Brian Cox. Have you ever seen blood on the moon like that? William, you're going to make yourself sick or get yourself killed. Multiple trails. Just you and me now, sport. One hunter. I'm gonna find you, damn it. FBI agent Will Graham. Man hunter. And this flops too. And things aren't looking really great for Michael Mann at this point. But then he starts producing this show called Miami Vice. I just played the whole theme song to that. You can't cut off Miami Vice in the middle. It's like when you're in the car and Stairway to Heaven comes in. You can't just turn off your car. You got to wait till the whole song's done, right? Uh, but um, but then he starts producing uh, Miami Vice, and this essentially reinvents the cop show format. Kind of brings a cinematic flair to the whole thing. And Hollywood goes absolutely crazy for Michael Mann uh, and starts talking to him about more television series and, and movies. And... This is where L.A. Takedown comes in. L.A. Takedown is the first version of Heat. Michael Mann has been working on Heat for a long, long time. You know, when Heat premiered in 95, he had already been working on this for like 15, 20 years. So this was a, a passion project for him that he couldn't quite figure out how to bring to screen. So he does um, he does L.A. Takedown. It's originally going to be a series but the, the 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 studio doesn't um, 
it doesn't really dig it. So they kind of cut it up, make it a movie of the week thing, and then dump it onto home video. Um, it's it's man's first swing at heat. And you can hear the final product in here. Um, a lot of the dialogue is the same. The themes are the same. They just don't have the budget, the cast, the time, the talent to, to really explore it the way the movie does so well. So I'm going to play a scene from L.A. Takedown when Michael Chirito picks up Wayne Grow uh, just before the armored car heist. Then I'll play that same scene from Heat, and you can hear how similar they are. Um, in L.A. Takedown, Chirito is played by Vincent Gaustafero, and I'm sure I'm mispronouncing that name, so I apologize. But um, in Heat, he's played by Tom Sizemore, of course. Um, and Tom Sizemore gives, I think, one of his best performances in Heat. He, has, he doesn't have a lot of dialogue, but he has one of my favorite looks in the history of cinema, hands down, in Heat. Uh, Tom Sizemore is just a badass in this role. Um, and Wangro is played by Xander Berkeley in L.A. Takedown. And in Heat, he's played by Kevin Gage. Um, Kevin Gage is much more sinister. Xander Berkeley comes off as, as being kind of a nice guy. You know, um, it, it's tough to buy him in this dark Wangro type role. It's not as dark as the one Kevin Gage is playing in Heat. But, um, but I don't know. That's one piece of casting that... that doesn't really fit in in L.A. Takedown. Um, but Xander Berkeley appears in Heat as well. But this time he's Ralph. He's the guy that Pacino's wife is having an affair with. Uh, but anyway, check out these two scenes. The first one is from L.A. Takedown, and the second one is from Heat. So uh, things work out. I consider working with you guys again, you know, on a regular basis. You look like an okay crew. I can handle all kinds of things, man. They ain't invented the kind of things I can't handle. Stop talking. You guys always work together. All the time. Real tight crew, huh? Real tight. Yeah, this works good. I'd consider going again, you know? Yeah, stop talking, okay, Slate? And the second example I have for you is the infamous diner scene. Now, we had been waiting decades to see this in 95, to see Pacino and De Niro on screen together again. These were two titans, and like we were saying... You, you really can't match that today. Um, the anticipatory feeling of, of having these two strong actors on screen together, kind of battling it out. Um, it was the whole it was the whole drive of, of, of attendance. You know, it, it was what people wanted to see. Um, but anyway, going back to L.A. Takedown, the first clip I'm going to play is from L.A. Takedown. And that is um, it's word for word, basically what's in heat. Um, it's just not done at the at the level that Pacino and De Niro are able to execute. Um, and, and you'll know what I mean when you hear it, because the, the dialogue is, is like I said, almost line for line the same. Um, it's just delivered in, in a much more sophisticated and real manner with Pacino and De Niro. Um, in L.A. Takedown, Vincent Hanna is played by Scott Plank, um, and Neil McCauley's character, who is called uh, Patrick McLaren, I believe, in L.A. Takedown, is played by Alex MacArthur, and then, of course, in Heat. Pacino plays Hannah and Macaulay is De Niro. So here we go. First scene is L.A. Takedown, and then the second one will be the same one from Heat. I do what I do best. Take down scores. You do what you do best trying to stop guys like me. End the story. You know, whatever happened to a normal type life? You ever thought of that? Family breakfast and barbecues? Kids on Sunday afternoons, that life, that's nice. Is that your life? At this moment in time, no. My life is more like a disaster area. I got a great woman I'm truly in love with, but I'm probably losing her because I spent all my time chasing guys like you around the block. So right now I'm alone. Then where's all the good stuff? I don't know. I do what I do best. I take scores. You do what you do best, trying to stop guys like me. So you never wanted a regular type life. The fuck is that? Barbecues and ball games? Yeah. 
This regular type life, that your life? My life? No, my life. No, my life's a disaster zone. I got a stepdaughter so fucked up because her real father's this large type asshole. I got a wife. We're passing each other on the downslope of a marriage, my third. Because I spend all my time chasing guys like you around the block. That's my life. So what do you think, Detective Andy? Pretty close, right? <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah. Yeah, it's just interesting to see the, the changes that took place um, from, uh, y- y- you know, a, a TV film and, and, and a big yeah. theatrical kind of experience. Yeah. It's just, it, it, it's an interesting comparison. So after L.A. Takedown, Michael Mann goes to uh he plays in the forest with daniel day lewis and madeline stowe with last of the mohicans which is a fine movie it's not really my jam but but people seem to love it uh but more importantly it brings us to heat michael mann finally figures out a way to bring this story to the big screen something he had had trouble with in the past so let's check out the trailer for michael mann's 1995 film heat and we'll be right back to talk about the police work in this film he's here search for the scent of your prey and then you hunt them down that's the only thing you're committed to it keeps me sharp on the edge where i gotta be you want to be making moves on the street allow nothing to be in your life that you cannot walk out on in 30 seconds flat if you spot the heat around the corner my life's a disaster zone because i spend all my time chasing guys like you around the block I do what I do best. I take scores. You do what you do best. Trying to stop guys like me. You've been walking through our life dead. All I am is what I'm going after. From the Godfather to scent of a woman. What do we got? From Raging Bull to Goodfellas. Soon they got our phones. Soon they got our houses. Soon they got us. Their performances have created a legacy of landmark films. I want full surveillance. That's 24 hours, round the clock. We never close open seven days a week. Now, for the first time, America's two most electrifying actors collide. With this guy, there's more cheap you should pass. The bank is worth the risk. We should take it down. 12.2 million. You're up. This crew is good. Ah! It ain't worth the risks you take. Like in risk versus reward, baby. You're a fugitive number one with a bullet. I'm double the worst trouble you ever had. If I'm the head, I gotta put you away. I won't like it. But I'll tell you, you are going down. What if you do got me boxed in? And I gotta put you down. Because no matter what, you will not get in my way. I will not hesitate for a second. Al Pacino, Robert De Niro, Val Kilmer, in a Michael Mann film. Heat. So, Detective Andy, I think a good place to start with this would be to... Maybe talk a little bit about what Heat does right from a um, from a law enforcement perspective. Sure, you know what it really does is, I think it it doesn't over romanticize the police work because it's pretty it's pretty real with the the personal lives of the police officers, especially our our main detectives. You know, his home life is a wreck. Um, his his stepkids a wreck. His wife's a wreck. That's pretty par for the course, right? Um, but I think it does over romanticize the the criminal crew. Uh, most of them aren't that organized. They're not that um, well put together. They're they're druggies. They're strung out. They they live they live in squalor. Um, they steal just enough to buy their next hit. You know, like that. So that that part of it is very romanticized in my view. Uh, and I'm sure there are these like high end crews out there like that. But that is definitely the the exception to the rule. Whereas the police and the sort of the way they portrayed the, the police lives outside of police work um, is is kind of that. What I would say that is the rule. You know, it's there's a little normalcy and a little and a whole lot of ab fucking normal. You know, because uh, it's <laughs> it's hard to have uh, it's hard to put normal into this this career yeah. when when sure. it comes to your home life. 
Sure. But yeah, so romanticized, yes. Romanticized bad guys, not romanticized good guys, which is kind of cool. Yeah, and I think, you know, one of the things I love about this movie is that everything in the film has a real-life template. You know, Pacino's Hannah was based on uh, a Chicago detective named Chuck Adamson who was pursuing a thief by the name of Macaulay, which is De Niro's character, of course. Um, And Chuck Adamson really did have an experience like the one we see in the diner with Hannah and Macaulay. In real life, Adamson was I think he was getting his dry cleaning and he saw Neil Macaulay across the street and they decided to go get a cup of coffee and they kind of ended up having a discussion that was very similar to the one we see in the film where they're kind of confessing their sins to each other you know they're no longer it's not cops and robbers anymore it's just two guys talking you know I have this uh, recurring dream I'm sitting at this big banquet table and all the victims of all the murders I ever worked are sitting at this table and they're staring at me with these black eyeballs because they got eight ball hemorrhages from the head wounds. And there they are, these big balloon people because I found them two weeks after they've been under the bed. The neighbors reported the smell and there they are. All of them just sitting there. What do they say? Nothing. No talk? Just, they don't have anything to say. We just look at each other. They look at me. And that's it. That's the dream. I have one where I'm drowning. And I gotta wake myself up and stop breathing or I'll die in my sleep. You know what that's about? Yeah, having enough time. Enough time to do what you wanna do? That's right. You doing it now? Not not yet. I mean, everything comes together in this almost like you know you're watching it thinking movies have never been this good movies have never been as good as heat and you just get you just get caught up in it and it's not it's not because of the diner scene but the diner scene is an example of that you know it's all those things coming together and creating this magic moment um but the entire film is is as good as that diner scene oh yeah Uh, but anyway going back to the real life templates it's something that Michael Mann does well. And, you know, even John Voight's character was modeled to look like uh, Eddie Bunker, who wrote one of the great crime novels about uh, about the criminal life and later starred as uh, Mr. Blue in Reservoir Dogs. Um, and even the shootout, the bank heist, is, is, you know, that was eventually would inspire an actual shootout. You know no, what I mean? No, it was exactly I mean, that. It was two uh, yeah, armored yeah. up bank robbers um, with uh, automatic weapons. And the, the police at the time... Um, really just had 38s and 9 millimeters, right? So pistols. And so you got these two guys just cruising through the L.A. streets after this bank robbery, just unloading automatic rifle fire on on cops and basically just decimating everybody until they finally got taken yeah, out. Yeah, you know what? Fuck saving the best for last. Let's get to that. <laughs> Let's get to the bank guys shootout right now because that's really the most thrilling moment in the film. The... The diner scene with Pacino and De Niro is kind of an awestruck moment where you're just kind of admiring these two guys who are uh, experts at their craft. Um, but the shootout is probably the greatest shootout in the history of cinema. And I don't think that's hyperbole. I mean, I, I definitely think it's up there. If it's not one, it's two or three. I mean, it's pretty close. Um and they wanted it to look real. You know, even taking the cars out, the the, the the bullet hits you see in the cars are actual bullet hits in the cars. They took all the, the prop vehicles that they were going to use and took them to a farm and shot them with the, the weaponry that was used in the film and uh, brought them back to the location so they looked real. Um, you know, and basically what they did was just put some some filling in those holes and then put the, the squibs in there so they could make it look, uh, they could film that impact. But... Um, you know, they had technical advisors on set. They wanted this heist to look real. So, Detective Andy, tell us, is this heist following any kind of proper protocol? All I saw there was just 
people getting sued, man. And <laughs> that's because here's the deal. At this point, they know who these guys are, right? The, the very same logic that the bank robbers use when they go in to say, hey, listen, it's, it's, this money's insured by the federal government. Uh, don't do anything stupid. You're not going to lose a dime. This is the bank's money. Um, is the exact same logic that you would use to not engage in a running gun battle in the middle of a huge metropolitan area with civilians everywhere. And you can see everywhere they go as they chase these yeah. people through town, yeah. <laughs> there's like grocery baggers getting shot. There's like moms getting shot. There's civilians getting waxed everywhere um, from from bullets that aren't hitting their targets. And the, the question is why? Because you know where they're going to be. Like, there was no reason for Hannah and his crew to get out of their cars and charge that bank. They, what, would, what would happen now with the exact same knowledge in the exact same situation is they would just let them come out, get in their car, and follow that car. It's like, oh, my God, we're worried they're going to disappear forever. Well, at that point, no, you've got them on lockdown because they can't. there's nowhere for them to go. You can literally have the infrastructure set up to follow them anywhere, and you can take them down in a controlled manner that if it devolves into a gunfight, which it probably would have with the same crew, right? Um, it's going to be in a, a gunfight in the place of your choosing, like where you decide to stop them, not uh, in the middle of the city, which is where it was in the movie. And that so that became one of the coolest scenes I've ever seen, but also incredibly, for the modern time, unrealistic. And I'm sure that if we had this North Hollywood shootout again in uh, that happened in 97, I would imagine LAPD might even do something a little different. Now, granted, LAPD is a little up-armored now than they were then. Um, you know, and they, they have weapons that would have been able to take those guys down, which they didn't really at the time. But that that being said, I, I don't think they would have they would want to engage in a, in a gun battle in the streets because, again, it's money. It's bank money, you know? I mean, it's it's basically everybody's ATM fees for the last six months. Fuck it. Right. Like, who cares? Yeah, Like, you know, they had so many other ways of, of tracking them, um, you know, they, and they demonstrate those ways earlier in the film. Um, but, you know, it just it never seems smart to set up an ambush for the people coming outside of the bank because that's going to instigate that that conflict. I mean, even though Chris, uh, played by Val Kilmer, fires that first shot, he does that because he is surrounded by police officers in a, you know, in a public setting. Um, so, you know, it's like how many times are you going to hit the Cobra on the head? Well, and we had, you know, there was a scene where, you know, Hannah was in the, the helicopter and there's a couple helicopters. So you, you have these assets that you can use to track this car uh, that, that didn't need to involve like all those dead people. Because I'm, I'm even even as a police officer, if if a member of my family got killed in a police shootout in the middle of a city that, in my opinion, didn't have to happen uh, because there were other ways to deal with it, there would be absolute hell to pay. Like I would be, I would be rage pissed. So I understand the segment of society that says that don't do this. Like don't yeah. endanger innocent people's lives exactly. for, you know, money. Now, if it's a, a serial rapist running through and somebody has got to take a shot at him, otherwise he gets away and he serial rapes 10 more people. It's a little different, but we're not talking about that's, that's a, that's apples to oranges with one guy, you know, running who's an immediate danger to society and a bunch of bank robbers who aren't going to shoot anyone or hurt anyone if they're just allowed to drive away. Right. That's that's two totally different things, because there are situations where you might, you know, need to risk that shot if if you absolutely had to. Well, what about when uh, Pacino breaks away and starts chasing Sizemore? Would, would that have happened? Would he have? No, I don't think so. Like, And by that time, it had all devolved so poorly anyway that, I mean, you know, because near as I can tell, Hannah's the one in command of this, right? Like, so why is he out there? Why is he not at some camp command post somewhere? Why is he doing this? Like, who's in command if he's in a gunfight? Who's who's running the show? Because somebody's got to be the level-headed person running the show. Um, so, I mean, it was, it, was, it was all just good cinema, just not particularly realistic. You know, just, uh, my own nagging issue is, you know, Vincent Hanna's a lieutenant, um, but, he's, but he's a robbery detective or a homicide detective, right? Um, and maybe I just don't understand the rank structure because in, in my world, lieutenants aren't working detectives. They're, they're administrators, right? So it, it always just kind of bugged me because, that I mean, that's that, that rank usually denotes something in the organization. And, it, it, you know, the people doing the work are usually just your, your detectives and things like that. Um, where, you know, the, a lieutenant implies it's even above sergeant and sergeants are generally first line supervisors. So I, I had kind of a problem with that. And I don't know if they were just trying to give him... 
some clout in the movie. Um, I, I don't know. I don't. I don't understand it. But that begs the question of that that first uh, that first heist, uh, and it shows him setting it up, buying the explosives, um, you know, mapping it out. It 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 works really well. It does um, because it gives you it gives you just enough information you need. It never goes into into really fine detail like there's a, a, a film i mentioned earlier on called rafifi which goes into just the minutia of a heist and heat doesn't do that it just gives you enough information to get by um and it does it you know i was referencing the the action earlier on and i said that you know it kind of there, there are little pops of action throughout heat and the collecting of information for the heists is kind of the same way they give you little moments with um, John Voight's character and little moments with Tom Noonan's character. Um, and, and, you know, the moments where um, Val Kilmer's buying the dynamite or the, you know, the explosive stuff. Um, so, yeah, and I, I've always dug that too. But since you brought up that first heist, let's talk about that because Hannah rolls up to that. And I've always wondered what, like, if you were to roll up to that scene, like, how would you take in all of that? data and he's rolling hannah's rolling like sick a posse a six deep something like that like there's three or four other detectives that, that come up on the scene with him um so okay, walk us through that a little bit what'd you think of that well he's trying to you know for his position he's trying to basically put together a scenario in his head of what happened you know he's not trying to to focus in on any one detail it's more like come in and look at an overall picture it's kind of like you know it's kind of like they they try to do in uh oh fuck you're gonna have to cut through to this because now I'm brain farting the name of the movie. Oh, um, oh, I love these yeah, games. Ah, fuck. Give, give me some information. Like, what, what happened? The Irish in the movie? guys and the fucking snatch. No, close. Uh, Boondock Saints. Yes, it's 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 like the the detectives do in Boondock Saints. <laughs> uh, you know, they come Just in and they try to they float these theories. You know, and it's like when they're making fun of the Boston detective. You know, some huge fucking guy, right? Like he's. They come to the scene and they look at the physical evidence that they can just see. Um, and they say, okay, this is what I think happened. And they, they go through their spiel. That's what, that's what Vincent's doing um, at that, at that initial robbery scene. You know, the same thing that, that um, Defoe's character was so good at, right? Coming in and, and looking at the way things are laid out and what happened just by saying, okay, this one, you know, this one's shot all kind of crazy. So, and then these are just, you know, one to the back of the head, right? So this one, something went wrong here. So they figured, why leave witnesses, right? And that's exactly what happened. So they, they're taking what they see and and putting, building this scene of, of how it went down, which is the way these things tend to work. This guy here has got what appears to be a double tap entry wound to the sternum, tattooing around the head wound, scorched bone, close range, probably executed. And it was a million six in bearer bonds. And they ignored the loose cash. Because they had no time, because they were on a clock. Which means they knew our response time to a 211, had our air, immobilized it, entered, escaped in under three minutes. It's a good spot here. We got good escape routes, two freeways within a quarter of a mile. Traffic video camera, probably disabled. Check it anyway. You recognize the MO? MO is that they're good. Once it escalated into a murder 1B for all of them, after they killed the first two guards, they didn't hesitate. Pop guard number three, because what difference does it make? Why leave a living witness? Drop of a hat, these guys will rock and roll. But what about the, 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 the amount of detectives on scene? How many usually show up? Is it just one guy, or is it usually one guy plus you know three others yeah. to assist? So you'd have like a lead or a couple of leads, and then everybody else who's helping them. Because it's going to be those lead guys' job to sort of stand there like Vincent was doing and, and try to put it together. But, so, but you need people to sort of get into the nitty-gritty of each detail and chase down each lead. Uh, but one person can't do all that because they get totally lost in the details, you know? I raise a practical question at this point. If you were to run Slick through the database, would you get the phone book? <laughs> yeah, for aliases, yeah, you'd probably get the phone book. Fuck, now I need a new alias. Um, in L.A. Takedown, the guard uh, that Wangro kills is, is laughing at him. So Wangro kind of feels insulted by the guard. Uh, in Heat, it's much more cold because the guard's not doing really anything. It's just Wangro being a fucking psychopath. Um, but what's cool about the armored car heist 
There's a lot of things that are cool about that, how it was filmed, how they filmed the kind of the peripheral impact of that of that blast when all the glass from the, the used cars explode out. But when Wangro kills that guard, that's essentially the moment Neil's crew is done. Because Wangro is kind of a cancer. In fact, I think he's he's one of the more underrated villains in, in cinema. Neil's crew is going to be caught, but that's not where the suspense comes from. The suspense comes from watching Neil's crew react to the tightening grip of Hannah's team. It's not if they're caught, but how and, and, and how will they react to that? And when it comes to Neil's crew, what you're seeing isn't fear of the law when these guys are confronted by Hannah's team. It's fear of losing the score. You know, and the score is the game to them. The score is the adrenaline, the rush. Well, you know, for me, the action is the juice. That's what they're afraid of losing. And, and, and Hannah's the same way. Hannah's just as dogged and just as ruthless. And he's going to use every single tool he has in the toolbox to get the person that he's after, you know, to get the game. Um, and, and that includes his, his relationship with informants and his relationship with Albert and Albert's cousin and, and Hank Azaria, who, who Ashley Judd is having an affair with. Ashley Judd in the film, of course, married to, uh, to Val Kilmer. Um, and I like that I'm using their real names and not their, not their character names. Uh, Ashley Judd did not have an affair as far as I know with Hank Azaria, <laughs> but, uh, but, but, um, I love how Pacino talks to Albert and how he gets the information that he wants. But talk to me about how you use informants. Or how do you treat informants? And do you have the same kind of relationship that like Pacino would have with, with Albert? You know, you treat everyone a little differently just based on how that relationship is. And I think, right. you know, it's pretty clear with Vincent's relationship with Albert that, that that's how he needs to talk to Albert to get Albert to give him what he wants, right? Shit, Albert. Listen, man, what, what you doing coming in for, man? You crazy? This ain't Disneyland, man. You were man. supposed to get back to me last night. Where the fuck you been? I couldn't break free, Vincent, you know? Let's violate his ass right now. I do for you. You don't do for me. Is that it? Vincent, man, I swear, I, I was out all night, man. I'm, I'm hitting like one of them flamingo matador Where's guys, flamingo? man. That's got nothing to do with you me. Know, I'm, I was cutting it real smooth. I'm generating leads and shit for you. I'm a dancer, man, you know. Bullshit. I paged your ass all day. I can't stand fucking paging. Oh, man, I'm hey, a speed know. freak, jacking methamphetamine again. Oh, man, wh wh where's your empathy, brother? It's a substance of Empathy was yesterday, today. You're wasting my motherfucking time. Vincent, man, look. You fall in love? Come on. Did you fall in love last night? You went off somewhere? Vincent. Just tell me that. I'll, I'll settle for it. You know what I mean? I'll buy that. V Vincent. Give me all you got! Vincent, man. Give me all you got! I swear, man, my brother, man, my brother, my brother Richard's gonna talk to you. Man. I heard Richard. He gonna talk to you. Richard? Richard. Richard? He gonna meet you, man, I swear, tonight. He's not here, is he? No, he gonna meet you tonight. Tonight? What happened to right now? I I, I employed him because I knew you was coming this a.m. That's a you bunch know. of bullshit. No, no, I swear, he he said no. Cause he in Phoenix. Ah, by the time this, I get this, to man, Phoenix, I swear, I swear, man, tonight's the best be I can rising. do for you. He'll probably leave a note right on the door. Tonight's the best I can do for you, man. You know, he'll meet, he'll meet you at BJ's on Alvarado at 2 a.m. Be there. You be there too. Vincent, I can't be there, man. I got, I got things to do, Vincent. I got things to do. I got, I got places to be. I got to be there. Don't waste my motherfucking time! So Albert's still, I'm sure, out there committing crimes, but it's stuff that Vincent isn't concerned about because... Albert will give up information on people so that he can keep doing what he is doing, whatever low-level scumbaggery it is, right? Because um, I assume if it was too too on the radar that uh, Vincent would force him to stop by probably putting him in jail. But he's a good he's a good uh, informant for the the bigger fish. So you know it's kind of a just kind of a nod that like you can keep doing your your bullshit little stuff, but you're going to give me what I need when I need it. Otherwise, you won't be doing this. Right. So uh, I'm going to play another clip. This is uh, when Hannah goes to visit uh, Albert's brother, played by Tone Loke. And uh, it, there's a, it's a kind of a classic setup in cop movies. It's a quid pro quo. So the informant is saying, I'll give you this information, but you're going to have to do this for me. 
And that usually entails taking out the informant's competition. So let's check out that clip and then Detective Andy, let me know what you think of that. Vincent, hey, man. Vincent. Hey, Vincent, it's my brother, Richard, Richard, Vincent. Richard. So what do you got for me? Before we even get into that, there's this cool ripping rides all along the beach areas, all right? Now, the back of a trim shop on Irvine, if somebody wants to pay a little visit this weekend, they might find two turbos and a 911 slow. You're looking to rid yourself of your competition. Hey, I'm a good citizen. I'm Donald Duck. Uh, it depends. Some yes, some no. I, you know, I don't know about letting them commit crimes these days. Like that's because if they do something that sort of comes back, it's like, wait, you knew he was doing this and you let him do it anyway, right? Like, so there's not not in sort of the traditional movie sense, no, but there's definitely informants out there, uh, and they usually uh, are also criminals. Uh, sometimes they're perfectly normal people who just happen to know things or just happen to know someone. But a lot of time it's, you know, some guy will rat somebody out to you uh, specifically because the guy's a competitor or the guy's in business he shouldn't be in and they, they want to get rid of him. And you know it when they do it, but you don't necessarily know. You don't have any evidence on them personally, so you're going to use their info. Um, I don't really care if I'm getting rid of somebody's competitor because that's going to embolden him to be more stupid, uh, in which case I'll probably be able to get rid of him six months down the road, right? So, you know, it's all a balance, you know? Right. So back when I was saying that the um, the arm, the first armored car robbery was the, you know, that's the moment Neil's crew is done because of the actions of Wayne Grow. At the end of that clip we just played, at the end of that scene, rather, Tone Loke identifies Slick, and that's what cues Vincent into connecting all of this together. Um, and, and it's just a, that, that's another example of, of, of Wayne Grow just being a cancer on Neil's yes. crew. That is Neil's biggest mistake. Yes. See, that was, and they explained that perfectly at the time, because that, that Wayne Grow clown... Um, you know, had to be a show-off badass and shot that dude for no reason whatsoever. They didn't have to kill any of them, right? And right there, it, it went from a, a robbery to a, a murder, right? For everybody, for everybody there. So they just kill the rest of them because why leave witnesses to the, the murder? Um, whereas if it was just a robbery, it's no big deal. So that, that was pretty pretty well thought out. Best use of Tone Loke in a movie, you think? It was perfect for, for having Tone Loke as that character. That's the wrong answer. The right answer is his scene-stealing role as Lieutenant Spence in Surf Ninjas, 1993, <laughs> bitches. It's a golden age for okay, Tom Loke right. movies. Adventures of Ford Fairlane, Bebe's yeah, Kids, yeah, yeah, Posse. Yeah. You got all that. Um, but, that, you know, that is another thing I love about Heat is that everywhere you look, there is an actor that you, you recognize. Um, this the movie was cast by the same the same woman who did uh, cast Glenn Gary, Glenn Ross and Armageddon. So she's used to doing these big. Her name's Bonnie Timmerman. And she's used to doing these big ensemble films. And um, I mean, everywhere you look, there's an amazing actor in, in a in a supporting role here. You, I mean, you have Danny Trejo, Wes Studi, Bud Court, uh, McKelly Williamson, uh, William Fickner, Tom Noonan. You have Ted Levine, Ted Levine. Uh, but uh, nobody in this movie is um, I mean, Tom Sizemore just I feel like he steals every single scene he's in because he's always doing something interesting. And it reminds me of The Magnificent Seven, how Yul Brenner always got pissed at at, uh, at Steve McQueen because Steve McQueen was always doing something to draw your attention to him. And I think Tom Sizemore does that same thing. In fact, he has my favorite mean mug in the history of film uh, when they're in the diner, when uh, Neil... Um, is confronting uh, Wayne Grow and slams his head against the diner table. And uh, Tom Sizemore just turns his head and looks at the guy down below, uh, you know, a couple booths down, who is who is looked up and gives him this look like, you do not want to look in this direction, man. And the guy just goes right back to reading his paper. And it's the best mean mug in the history of cinema, I guarantee it. Um, and he also has a pretty good look at the uh, at, at Wayne Grow when he picks him up when they're on their way to the armored car heist. When he's kind of, uh, he stops at the stoplight and he just turns his head and he just looks at him with just this kind of contempt. Um, yeah, Tom Sizemore, man. You know, he's brilliant. Isn't there still a rule that you can't make a movie 
about World War II that has American soldiers in it and Tom Sizemore doesn't play a sergeant? I think there's a rule. It's like a Screen Actors Guild rule. Like, it's it's part Script of the... Script good, Johnny. Yeah. Unfortunately, there's no Tommy Sizemore in this. <laughs> oh, man. Uh, so... Before we go, we did get a lot of questions about the scene when Hannah's team is um, surveilling Neil's team. And there's a moment in the truck when one of the SWAT guys like bangs his gun against the side of the van and it kind of blows the whole thing up. We got a bunch of questions about whether or not what you know what would be the repercussions for that guy? Would he just have a few bad days on the job? Does he get reprimanded? And then we had some questions about whether or not Hannah would actually let a crew who was committing a crime that had been witnessed by detectives or police officers, would Hannah have let Neil go? And we got a lot of questions about those particular two incidents. So, Detective Andy, you want to take those up? You know, a lot of the surveillance stuff was was pretty much on point for, for the time. Uh, it would be done a little different now. Um you know, waiting for them. You know, there's the one scene where where uh, Al Pacino and, and the crew were sitting outside sort of watching this this area where they had figured out where they were going to take it down. And so they, you know, they watch them break in, but they want them to actually steal something before they, they take them down so they have the full crime. Okay, let them go. What do you mean? We can take them on? What? On what? What are you going to take them on? Breaking an entry? They didn't steal anything yet. Don't you get it? It gets knocked back to some chicken shit misdemeanor. They do six months and they're out. No fucking way. I'm not taking the heat from my bosses because you let them go. They're not walking. That's exactly what they're going to do. They're going to walk. This is my operation. I have tactical command that supersedes your rank. They will walk away and you will let them. Fuck. And that's kind of a Hollywood thing. I don't, I mean, somewhere someone might do that because they want the higher charge on them. Um, and I guess they didn't have any evidence for any of the other stuff. So maybe that's why they were waiting for the actual theft to happen. Um, but it seems like once they go in and they've got all that equipment there and, and what they're, it proves what they're, tr- what they're going to do. You don't necessarily have to wait for them to, to take, to actually drill through something. And, and, you know, and I guess you get an attempt at, at that point versus an actual theft. But um, it would seem to me that you'd want to, that would have put this crew to bed, right? Had they arrested them all right there, like they, they might not have done much time, but they would have left the area, I'm willing to bet, because they know the cops are all over them. Um, they, wouldn't, they wouldn't have stuck around for this one more score. It's like, hey, this, so L.A. is totally burned. Let's go to San Francisco, right? Because everything they do, it doesn't matter what city they're in. They're, it's not like they know these places. They, they scope them out ahead of time. Um, and you can scope out a bank in San Francisco just as easy as you can scope out a bank in L.A., right? Or, or Cincinnati, for God's sakes. Like, why even stay on the West Coast for this crew at that point? They, they appear to have plenty of money. Because um, if, if they're in one place for too long, which goes back to the, hey, don't, don't have any connection you can't drop in 30 seconds flat, right? But th- they violated their own rule because their connection to the city was something they obviously couldn't drop in 30 seconds flat because they kept staying in the same place to, to do these these robberies. So of course, some some guy like uh, Lieutenant Hannah is gonna eventually get on this case and be like, "Hey, these are the same, the same people." And as soon as you're predictable, you're caught. You know, Wayne Grow is the example of that. He's the analogy of the mistake, right? However, Neil's failure, his biggest weakness is the city itself. He didn't drop that city. He didn't exactly. Leave, and you're exactly right about that. Well, his odds were zero pretty much as soon as the LAPD was all over him. You know what I'm saying? Like they, I mean, they wouldn't, even that last bank robbery, had they not turned it into a gun battle, they, they wouldn't have gotten away at that point. Like that's, that's the whole point of the entire real versus fiction, like real versus film here is you had them. And I think I made the same point in point break is you knew who they were. You knew where they were going. You have them. Like, that's just it. Like people think, oh, I got away from the scene of the crime. I'm away. No. Sometimes I let you walk away from the scene of the crime because the scene of the crime isn't necessarily the best place for me to take you down. And I don't have to take you down at the scene of the crime. SWAT guy who banged the side of the truck. In trouble? No. He'd certainly have a bad bad rep for a while. He'd have something to overcome. It's like, oh, yeah, that's uh, that's Carl. He's a dumbass. He, he, he hit his gun on the fucking side of the, the container and, and tipped off the, the crew and they bailed on us. Carl would be living with that for a while. Um, but as far as, like, reprimanded, I mean, it's just... You know, nobody does stupid shit like that on purpose, right? So it's it's hard to like demote him or fire him. Like that's not that's not one of those type of offenses. It's just like, God damn it, Carl, we're gonna stop bringing you on these things, <laughs> Carl. Poor Carl. 
having a bad day. Detective Andy, anything else before we go? You know, here's what I wanted to say about this movie. I didn't like the ending. I didn't like it. I, I thought it was anticlimactic and counterproductive. I wanted Neil to get away. I wanted Neil to live. I, I didn't necessarily want him to win. Like, maybe he drops all his money or whatever, right? But, I mean, I wanted him to not just get killed at, by Hannah in some field at LAX. Like, to me, that, was like, that wasn't the way... Uh, that, first of all, that's not the way Robert De Niro should ever die in any movie. But it definitely wasn't the way that Neil McCauley should have died in this movie. You know, because if, if Neil McCauley gets on a plane and leaves and has to stop doing what he's doing, Vincent Hanna still wins. He stopped the crew. Right? They're not taking down scores anymore. You know, and who cares about fucking Tom Sizemore's character and who cares about Val Kilmer's character and whatever. But for... De Niro to be killed like that, it was just, you know, it was actually kind of depressing. It was like, oh man, really? Well, I have a different viewpoint on this. Um, and let me say, let me give you a spoiler alert on this in case you want to watch LA Takedown. I'm going to spoil the ending in three seconds. So mute this if you don't want to know the ending of LA Takedown, which is available on YouTube to watch. Um, you should check it out. It's an interesting comparison piece to Heat. But um, in LA Takedown, Wangro kills Neil and then Hannah kills Wangro by kicking him out a hotel window. But anyway, let's talk about this ending. Uh, this ending to me has always been very poetic. I watch a lot of samurai films. It's my favorite genre of film. And there are there is a nobility to being killed by the best in samurai films. You know, it, they, they considered it an honor to be killed by the best. If you were in a duel with another samurai and they killed you, or if they had a special... Um, a special sword move. It was an honor to be killed with that sword move to see it, at least in the films. I, I can't speak historically about whether or not somebody appreciated being killed that way. But, uh, and Heat has always felt like the ending of a samurai film to me because there's a calmness, there's a, a poetic, natural conclusion to this. And Neil looks not defeated, but at peace that he was killed by the best. And one other thing I love about this ending is how we get closure for everybody in Neil's crew. Every character that we're emotionally invested in, we get some kind of closure for them. And, and films usually don't do that. They don't really worry about the peripheral characters so much. They're, carried about, they're, they're, they're worried about the central characters. But here we get closure for Chris and for Chirito. And we get closure for Dennis Hasbert's girlfriend even. You know, Dennis Hasbert's in the film for maybe, I, I don't know, what, five minutes tops? But but they still give you a moment with his girlfriend, you know, seeing the the shootout transpire on TV. You know, we get we get her closure in, in, in almost real time, you know what I mean? But um but yeah, I love the attention and the care for the the characters that surround Neil because you you usually don't see that in, in a thriller in an action film. But that's another Michael Mann trademark. Michael Mann doesn't just care about the central characters. He cares about every character that's populating his universe. And, and that's a director that cares about his, his movies. All right. There it is, crime fighters and cinephiles. Geek and the Cop versus Heat is in the books. Stay tuned for Moby's cover of New Dawn Fades after we wrap it up. Don't forget to follow us on Twitter at Geek and the Cop and on Facebook at Facebook.com slash Geek and the Cop. We'll be back very soon taking on Clint Eastwood in the cop movie classic, The Rookie. You didn't think I was going to say that, did you? To be fair, I didn't think I was going to say that either. To the men and women behind the badge, we tip our hats to you. To the geeks, here's to good watching. Salute! You know, we're sitting here, you and I like a couple of regular fellas. You do what you do, I do what I gotta do. And now that we've been face to face, if I'm there and I gotta put you away, I won't like it, but I'll tell you, if it's between you and some poor bastard whose wife you're going to turn into a widow, brother, you are going down.
there's a flip side to that coin. What if you do got me boxed in? Then I gotta put you down. Because no matter what, you will not get in my way. We've been face to face, yeah. But I will not hesitate. Not for a second. Maybe that's the way it'll be. Or, who knows? Or maybe we'll never see each other again. Watch 